If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So, Corey, in the last episode, we talked about whether or not doctrine really functions in the modern American or European church as a as an important thing anymore. Sure, you know? whether people treat it like it's important. Does it really matter to people? Do doctrinal beliefs or doctrinal adherence or dogmatic teaching, does that really operate for most people as something that, that you know, they think about, that can defines their lives or their faith or their adherence to anything that they're aware of? I mean, is it, does it matter? You know, it's kind of crazy when you think about church history because, you know, in previous eras, the whole Christian world would be torn up over some doctrinal issue. You know, you can go back to the fourth century and you can look at, you know, the Arian controversy about the nature of the Trinity, or you can go forward to the Reformation and look at the, Mm -hmm. you know, controversies of the Reformation. And right in earlier eras, doctrine mattered. And the question was, as we stand at the beginning of the 21st century, in at least North America and Europe, does does doctrine really matter anymore? And that's kind of what we talked about in the last episode. But here's what I want to kind of explore in this episode is you were making the point that once doctrine no longer operates, we are sort of blown about by the winds of change, right? Right. Because there's there's no tent poles, you know? It's like you're going to go set up a camping tent or something and there's no poles. There's just a bunch of fabric blowing around. And so, you know, there's nothing that anchors any of this. And so we become subject to whatever the the spirit of the age is about various things. And then what happens is church practices shift and this and how people kind of what they believe if to the degree that they believe it and practice it begins to shift and here's my question how far can christian practice christian belief bend or move before it's really not christianity anymore Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so let's talk about that a little bit. You, you want to give maybe a couple of examples? Well, let me, let me give one out of the gate, okay? Okay. Uh, and some of these, you know, no matter what I say here is going to offend somebody somehow, but let me, let me give what I think is a pretty basic one, which is the role of scripture in the church. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I think this applies both on the Protestant side and the Catholic side. I mean, we have the benefit as Catholics of having scripture and you know, apostolic tradition, uh, as opposed to just scripture, but we have scripture too. And so classic Christianity says like the words of scripture, scripture is authoritative. Mm-hmm. So that for my, our, our Protestant friends or us as former Protestants who would say, well, you know, Protestants say, well, scripture is an authoritative in the Catholic church. Of course it is. It is. It's just that we have an, an additional source of authority. Mm-hmm. Right. But so throughout the history of the church, scripture, what the Bible says is authoritative and you take it seriously. 
and it becomes uh, what the controlling authority over life and practice. And when you look at where a lot of contemporary Christianity is, it no longer looks to the Bible as a revealed controlling authority. And it no longer approaches the Bible sort of hermeneutically in terms of how it interprets it as a sort of dogmatic revealed truth. You know, we, we look at scripture, we listen to scripture, we kind of interpret the way we want, we translate the way we want. It's sort of a data point. It's something to listen to, but it doesn't really control our belief system. And I would, I would say there's an example of how scripture functions in the life of the church that when Christianity begins to move further and further away from the Bible as being a revealed authoritative truth, how far can it move in that direction before what you have is no longer like Christianity? Right. What say you? Well, well I think that it's important to bring up scripture first and, and it's foundational and other other departures from Christianity, from Christian orthodoxy follow from that. And so I think historically what you have is that in the era of the Enlightenment and afterwards, you have sort of an erosion in confidence in the scriptures and in the apostolic tradition of the church. And you, you see that all across the Christian world. And it seeps into sort of the popular consciousness. Um, and of course, the Catholic Church has never denied the authority of its tradition and its scriptures. Um, but that doesn't mean that that attitude doesn't affect your man on the street, who is a Catholic. It, it certainly does. And so over this period of time of hundreds of years, you have a, a real, really loss of faith and uh, confidence in the scriptures and in tradition. And following from that, you have doubt or error or, or simple indifference to truths about the faith. Um, so the nature of God, the nature of the Trinity, the nature of Christ, these things that were the big controversies of the early church. By the time you're getting into the 20th century, you have a, a large mass of people who are Christians or um, in any case uh, identify themselves as Christians for whom they either believe things about the scriptures or about God or about, about the Trinity, about Christ that are not orthodox, are not true. Christian truths or these these things they just don't see as important or relevant they don't they don't care about them that's not um, a big deal to them and so if you've you've sort of knocked out that foundation then everything else can easily follow and then you get into the 20th and the 21st centuries where I think a lot of the the truths that follow from the the foundational truths of Christianity start to popularly be thrown into doubt and and that's the whole host of practical and moral teachings of the church. And so there there aren't necessarily bright lines or definitions of like, if you go past this point, it is not Christianity anymore. But I think what you do see is that the more you erode the foundational beliefs, the more everything else follows after. Um, and th there's just sort of an acidic effect or a dissolving of the whole edifice. Right. But my contention is that that as that dissolves, right, it can be a diluted Christianity, oh, yeah, yeah. a weaker form of Christianity. But at some point along the way, along some continuum, it begins to to trip over into something that is no longer Christianity. Mm -hmm. 
So let me give you, I mean, we'll get into some maybe other examples here in a few minutes uh, in terms of practical examples, how this plays out. But I just want to share a verse for you. Let's go back to the Bible and let's talk about what Paul says, okay? St. Paul, and he talks about this in Galatians chapter one. And here's what he says to the Galatians. So to all you listeners, Galatians one, and this is beginning at verse six, Paul says, to them, the church in Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ Jesus and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And Paul says in verse eight, but if even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. So Paul has a real strong notion that there can all this can only bend so far before it becomes another gospel, another Christianity. Right, right. And it's an accursed thing. And even if an angel or even if Paul loses his mind and is no longer in his right mind and starts preaching something that's contrary, it becomes an accursed thing. So Paul has a real strong notion that there is a boundary line. Right. And you can't go, you, you know, things can only bend so far that you can only twist the gospel or dilute the gospel or sort of fiddle with the gospel so far before it's no longer the gospel. And then it isn't like, well, you know, they're kind of into some different things. I mean, I don't know how more strongly Paul can say that than what I just read. I mean, that's, that's pretty strong. And then I could go to other passages in scripture where Paul and the other apostles, Peter, whatever, they start talking about you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They start talking about teachers who will, you know, give the people everything their itching ears want to hear. People will lead, you know, the the sheep astray, will lead them into false teachings and false doctrines. And I think it's important to bring this up because this is the premise of the conversation. I think our modern mind does not want to say that something can be wrong, or at least in the area of religion, it can't be wrong because, you know, if people feel it strongly, it's just a different opinion, but no, it could be wrong. There is a true gospel and there is a point at which it is no longer a true gospel. And then it is an opinion or just a different variant. It is a false gospel. We'll get back to the conversation in just a few moments. But first, I'd like to ask for your support in producing and expanding this podcast. It's produced by a 501c3 nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure, with a mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Now, the production budget of this podcast isn't big, but it is real. We've set a goal of 40,000 worldwide downloads in 2023 with a crowdfunding goal of $35,000 to make that happen. Would you help us make that happen? If so, please go to consideringcatholicism.com. You can see our GuideStar charity rating there and donate online with a one-time or recurring gift. 
And if you have a business or organization interested in sponsoring our ministry, please shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Thank you for listening and considering helping us to help others consider Catholicism. And now, back to the conversation. The question, in my mind, is not whether there is a line over which it becomes a false gospel. That seems pretty evident. Mm -hmm. The question is where that line is and how much of modern, what we see around us in sort of, you know, the the market square of contemporary Christianity has crossed that line to being another gospel. Right. Um, and, And the devil is in the details. I mean, if you look at something like Arianism, an early heresy that cut directly to the nature of Christ and to the Trinity, I think we can pretty confidently say that that was not Christianity because it had changed, it had altered a fundamental truth of the faith. Um, And then, of course, other truths followed with it because there are always consequences to to altering a fundamental truth. Now, take something like, like Lutheranism or Calvinism, from the Catholic perspective, we certainly believe that there are errors there. there. There are things that are not true. I would be the first to say that. But does that mean that it's not Christianity? I think we would say that there's a difference between Lutheranism or Calvinism and Arianism. So, Absolutely. Just to yeah. be clear, the, yeah. the, 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 the Catholic Church, Vatican II, I think it was the document Lumen Gentium in, in Vatican II, but the Catechism of the Catholic Church affirms this. And that is, is that the other Christian faiths or the other Christian denominations that, are, that stay within the boundaries of the essential tenets of the gospel, that essentially affirm the Nicene Creed, affirm basic tendencies of the faith, are within, in a sense, the Christian family, within that circle. If we were to draw a circle, and maybe we would draw concentric circles, mm-hmm. and what we would say, and what Vatican II said, is that the Roman Catholic Church is the most accurate or perfect expression of the Christian gospel and that they sort of can graduate, you know, out from there and still be within that. Mm -hmm. But there is some hard line out there, the further you get out from that epicenter where you cross over it and it now no longer becomes authentic Christianity. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And and there's sort of piling up error on error in, in certain cases, like you can take something like Arianism, where it's a fundamental difference, or something more modern, but but in many ways similar, something like Mormonism, where there is a fundamentally different understanding of God and of the Trinity. And because of that, lots of different beliefs about the afterlife and eschatology and all, all kinds of things like that. And so I think it's pretty clear that that is a different religion because of those different fundamental premises, premises that would be shared between the Catholic Church and say the church of magisterial Protestant denominations. But then maybe a little more to the point that you're making about contemporary things, it's take moral teachings and, and change more and more of them or, or totally make the moral teaching of the church irrelevant, reduce it to following your conscience, whether your conscience is okay. well-informed or not. Ding, 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 ding. Right. Okay, so if I had like the d- little dingy bell, I would hit the dingy bell right now. I'm going to interrupt you because mm-hmm. this is where I want to kind of go. Before we get there real quick, I want to know what you're saying, like Mormonism. Uh, when I f- was younger, uh, I, my wife and I planted a church in Southern California, you know, church start. And we were there a number of years and grew this church from scratch. And it was in a community where there, there were a large number of Mormons in the 
immediate community where we were. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the neighbors and so forth. And we confronted this all the time where the, the Mormons would say, well, we're good Christians. You go, right, but it's another religion. And so I'm, you know, around and around and around the block on that. And there have been other, these other kinds of variants, Seventh-day Adventism or whatever. Unitarianism. Yeah. And at a certain point, you could, we're not going to go through those one by one, but we can look at these sort of formal denominational departures and say, okay, because of doctrinal teachings, formal doctrinal teachings, Mormonism or Unitarianism or Seventh-day Adventism or the Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever, right? Essentially become a different religion. But now, ding, 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 back to... And this is the interesting part to me where you say, well, there are contemporary Christian practices that formally use all the same language, but mean different things by this. Hmm. Okay. So let's go back to Paul's context or Paul, what Paul says there in Galatians 1. So in the context where Paul says, look, to the Galatians, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel than I preached to you, if an angel from heaven shows up and preaches it, if I even come back and I've lost my mind and preach something different, let that be a curse because it's another gospel. So then that would make me think, well, then let's go back and see what it is that Paul preached. Mm. And so we would look at the other letters of Paul. What are the things that Paul is saying, right? To understand what it is that he said. And then if we go back and we say, and I'm going to pick on this, we go back to say Paul in, for example, Romans chapter one, where he talks about sin and the nature of sin and the ways that man have fallen away from God and how we are called to reconcile ourselves back by trust in Christ and salvation in Christ. And then the, and then the reordering of our lives to, in a sense, try to sin no more. Right. Yeah. Now, if I am a contemporary quote unquote Christian preacher, And I tell you, the important thing is that you be a good person, be a gentleman, like you explained in the last episode, right? And you shovel the old lady's driveway and you do such and such, and you feel a lot of sort of love in your heart towards other people, but God doesn't really care what you do with your life. He doesn't care. As long uh, as you're nice to people. Yeah. As long as you're generally nice to people, he doesn't care who you love. He doesn't care who you sleep with. He doesn't care what you do with your money or your this or your that or your time, right? Then you start to go, God doesn't care about those things. My point here is not to bash the the gay issue, but the point is that if you have a contemporary preacher telling you God doesn't care, moral behavior is irrelevant to God, that to me contradicts what Paul says in every one of his letters. Well, in Christ. Christ before him. Yeah. So when Paul says, if anyone preaches another gospel, it's another gospel. It's another Christianity. It's a false gospel. And then someone comes along and says, hey, I'm going to go through the letters of Paul and cut out the parts I don't like and change the meanings of things. And principally, one of the things they're going to do is cut out a lot of the moral teachings of Paul. Now, that person hasn't sort of adopted a formal heresy in the sense that, say, Mormonism that has a different idea of the Trinity. But for all practical purposes, what they're doing is is preaching a gospel that is a different gospel. Or, I mean, you could read what Paul preached. You could phrase it. It's just a different kind of error. I mean, a mistaken idea about the Trinity is a theological error, but the church is infallible in its teaching on both faith and morals. So 
So having a moral error seems to me at least to be of the same magnitude. Well, let's let's put some let's put some skin on this thing, right? So one of the things that is a controversial issue today is whether or not Christ calls us to reform our moral behaviors and our lives to comply with the formal teaching of the church, natural law, so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't marry another man, or I shouldn't marry three women, or I shouldn't marry three. I shouldn't men. get divorced. I shouldn't get divorced. I shouldn't do this, right? I mean, or whatever, right? you know. I shouldn't look at pornography. I shouldn't whatever. I mean, pick your list, okay? And that God cares about those things. Now, I'm not saved by not doing them, right? I mean, we've been through this before, right? But that part of the the gospel that Paul preached is come to Jesus Christ, give him your sin, turn your life over to him. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in a path of discipleship where you turn away from those behaviors and that God calls you to leave those behaviors behind. And that the ministry of the gospel and the presence of Christ in your life should be sanctifying you away from those behaviors. Now, Yeah, No, I mean, I just want to point out that that's fundamental to what Christ preached. I mean, the first thing he said publicly was repent, the kingdom of heaven is a hand. He said things like, go and sin no more. Right. Um, And I'm bringing it up with respect to Paul because I'm trying to reference Mm -hmm. back to Galatians 1, Mm -hmm. but I'm also trying to say, hey, let's just look at what it is that Paul preached to the Galatians or to the Corinthians. Now, that being said, if Pastor Steve comes along and says, hey, dude, the important thing is you feel loved. And this is a community of love. And we want you to come here and know that you're loved exactly as you are. And God loves you exactly as you are. And he doesn't want you to, you, you don't have to change anything about yourself. That what, what the gospel is, is to learn to, to, that God loves you as you are and to love yourself as you are and to embrace and accept who you are as you are. And God's cool with it. I submit to you that that is another gospel. Oh, and I would agree. And I, and I think that the way you articulate it there shows that it's not just as simple. Like, th- there's a, a mindset of like, okay, the church's teachings on morality are kind of arbitrary. Like, there's a list of rules, do this, don't do that. And what the truth is, is that it's much more fundamental than that. Like, the, the morality stems from Christ's teaching, it stems from the moral law, it stems from the nature of God and the nature of of humanity. And if you change the moral teaching, you are contradicting the moral law, you're contradicting natural law, you're contradicting the nature of God and of man. Morality is not some disconnected, arbitrary thing that the church teaches because we feel like telling people what to do. It's actually based in truth. And if you deny the truth of the moral teaching, you're not just picking a different way because you prefer a different way. It it is a contradiction of truth. Let's take communion. Okay. So communion, right? The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, people are invited to come to this and the traditional teaching going back to Paul, because I can go to first, first Corinthians where he says, do not come to the table and eat and drink unworthily. Mm-hmm. but reform your life. Now, there have come contemporary sort of ways to look at this and say, look, communion isn't something that you have to 
reform your life in order to take or confess sin. It's something that you take to participate and to, to, to be affirmed that communion. Now, I'm not saying this is, this is not the formal teaching of the Catholic Church, but it has increasingly become the teaching of a lot of evangelicals, okay? A lot of evangelical Protestants. And I think there are voices, at least in some parts of the Catholic Church, that say we need to change our thinking on this. So that the, the point is not that people have to go out and reform their lives, you know, to participate in the Lord's Supper, right? To come to the table, to come to the altar, right? Take, receive the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in the Catholic Church, we have a pathway for that, right? Which is I go to confession mm-hmm. and I receive absolution and I'm given penance and I then, you know, with the help of God, attempt my best to make firm amendment to change my life and right. so forth, Right. Mm-hmm. But that if I'm living in a state of material disobedience, so for example, I dumped my wife and moved in with my mistress, and now me and my mistress want to show up to to the Eucharist on Sunday, should I be able to receive the Eucharist without saying, hey, hold on a second, time out, you dumped your wife and your kids, you now have moved in with your mistress or remarried your mistress, you're in a material state of objective sin in the Catholic Church's teaching is you need to go back and take care of that business before you come to the table, right? Mm-hmm. Or come to the altar. Right. Make sense? Mm-hmm. And the same thing could be said if I'm married to another man or I'm married to three women or I'm, you know, whatever, married to my horse or my dog. Well, any number of sins that don't have anything to do with marriage, sure. No. And the only reason I'm bringing those up, and we've talked about, you and I have talked about this offline is that one of the nature of those kinds of sins is there is, a, there is an objective state. So there are certain things in which they're like on a sliding scale. Like I can be, you know, greedy or harsh or uncaring or unforgiving or uncharitable to other people or, or harbor uh, racist feelings, all of which are sinful and mortal sins, but they occur to degrees. You know, how greedy do I you know, have to be or whatever? But if I go and marry three women or I have abandoned my wife and children and married another woman, there is an objective state. There's not a dispute. I can't be, I'm not kind of married to that. Like how married to you or her are you? You either are or you aren't. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and all I mean to point out is that there are other sins that are like that too, that there are concrete, like I can, I can commit an act of violence or I can commit sure. an act of theft. Or, I go out and rob the bank. I go yeah. shoot up the school, right? That's what yeah. I'm saying. Exactly. So, so what I'm just only bringing those up because they're easy examples rhetorically mm-hmm. to talk about on the podcast, right? Yeah. And they're the, they're the other reason I'm bringing those examples up is those are the issues that are in debate today. Right. Because there, there's nobody nobody's that, arguing that we should be able to go out and steal and kill people. Yeah. Right. There, there are, I'm, I'm not yet aware of many voices in the Catholic church or Protestant church that say school shooters should come to, you know, mm-hmm. after you shoot up the school, come over and take the Lord's Supper. But there are people who are saying, if you're living in a state of what objective mortal sin, you know, with respect to being married to, you know, whatever, those kinds of things that we're mentioning, mm-hmm. it doesn't, God just wants you to come here anyway. And he wants to accept you. And the point of you coming here is to feel like the acceptance of God. And you may or may not choose based on your conscience to reform your life or not. That's up to you. To me, I think that's a different gospel. It's a, it, it is a different story of how we are saved 
in a different story of how we come and experience the salvation of God and the sanctification of Christ. And, and it becomes, I think, it, it, it trips over into being a different gospel. Well, yeah, I, I would agree. I think it is fundamentally a different message. It's not the message of Christ, which is repent and be perfect as my father is perfect and become holy. That's a hard thing to do, of course, and something that the Holy Spirit is working on us throughout our whole lives. But that's the goal in Christianity is that you'll come into perfect friendship with God and perfect holiness, whether it's this life or, you know, through purgation and the next. Um, And yeah, it seems to me that it's a fundamental moving of the goalposts to say that it's not really about that. It, it, it's in some ways it's an immanentizing of it. It's it's a making it about your subjective comfort and and sort of good feeling about it now, rather than the uh, the consequences of your actions, both now and and in eternity for you and for others. Um, because I think the reason that a lot of those sexual sins get pulled out and and labeled as special. A, because people have strong feelings about them and, you know, want to do what they want to do. Um, But B, because they're seen as victimless, like, oh, well, it doesn't hurt anyone. It's not like I killed anybody or stole anybody's thing or when that is not actually true. And that's part of the church's moral teaching is that they're not victimless. It's not as if it's without consequences. It causes damage to you and to the people that you're engaging in it and into society and to children if you have any. And to to say otherwise is to simply proclaim a different moral vision than Christianity. Well, and, and it's a different vision of the human person, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, way back when um, I was still doing university ministry, you and I first met when I was in some college ministry. And we used to talk a lot in that college ministry about how the big challenge in the 21st century was going to be the redefinition of, of, of the human person mm-hmm. and human right. life and, and the, the boundaries of human life with respect to uh, biological advances in science and, you know, artificial intelligence and all the things. And I do still, that is going to be the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the crux of the 21st century is redefining the human person. I think we're living on the beginning of this era where we start redefining what a human is with respect to God. And that changes the fundamental gospel because if a human is a different kind of thing, a different kind of creature with respect to God, then the relationship between God and the creature and the relationship of how that creature is saved with respect to God, what the good news is, how we're reconciled to God, fundamentally alters. Well, and and we were saying that we weren't aware of um, people who were advocating for, you know, communion for people who have committed murder or, or that kind of thing. But I mean, we have abortion and we have assisted suicide or euthanasia. There, There is an argument for the moral um, acceptability of killing others or killing yourself if it's a certain class of persons. Absolutely, right? I mean, and, and maybe that's not widespread within the Catholic Church at the moment, right? But it's certainly widespread within Protestantism that you can be pro-abortion, pro-choice, whatever. And, you know, that that's totally great. Here, here, I was thinking about something then when you were talking a moment ago, it struck me that the, the gospel that Paul preaches, and I get that it's, you know, obviously 
gospel of Jesus, but just when we look in the letters of Paul and how he articulates it in Romans and Corinthians and so on and so forth. Right, right. That, that, that gospel that Paul is talking about, the purpose is for us to reconcile ourselves to God. The gospel, Christianity becomes a way for us to be reconciled to God. Right, that Christ is reconciling the world to God and we can get on board with that. Right, and if, you know, we could, you know, go down the path, right, the Old Testament, everything's about how, how we are to be reconciled to God. This sort of 21st century sort of post-dogmatic, post-doctrinal thing is more about how God should be reconciled to us. Mm-hmm. And it's a gospel in which God reconciles himself to us. God, and you know, you were talking about that in the last episode when you said that, you know, it was when you were a kid and you're starting to hear in churches and it was when I was a new young pastor and we were starting to talk about, hey, let's take the Bible passage and the sermon today is all going to be about how God sort of, this is all about you. And what it really has become is no longer, the gospel is no longer centered on Christ and how we approach Christ, how we are reconciled to God through Christ. It's more about how God reconciles and, and justifies himself and enters into our lives. And I think that's the f- fundamental shift. And I believe that that is the thing that crosses over that line and becomes, and we could, you know, give example, exact example after example of it. But I think that's the crux of it mm-hmm. is that contemporary Christianity is a Christianity that is centered on the person, the human person and the organization and orientation and reconciliation of God to that person and fitting into their life as they are. And in a sense, it the impetus of the, the preaching of that, the evangelism of that is to share with people how God enters into their world rather than how God invites us to enter into his world. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it's a fundamentally different way of knowing, discovering things about God. In, in Christianity, um, there's revelation. God gives truth about himself to us. He lets us know what he is like. In the contemporary minds, most baldly sort of inventing what he's like. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole impetus. And it's, I think it's just a real misread of, of Christianity. That's why I say this whole point of this episode is that it, it almost becomes a different Christianity, which is what you'll hear is, well, Jesus dined with, you know, sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Absolutely true. 100,000% true. Important, yeah. With the intention that by dining with them and encountering them, he would lead them away from being sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, right? Matthew is in his tax collecting booth and Jesus says, follow me. And what's kind of weird about sort of the modern gospel is it's not a gospel where God comes to us in our sin and says, follow him to paradise where we will be without sin. It is God enters into our life and dwells with us in our sin and affirms us in it. And I, like I said, I think that that is how far can you move this before it becomes a different gospel? I think, I think that's it. And I think we have to be discerning when we listen to preachers and theologians and pastors and even, you know, who knows, bishops or whatever, and start to say, what are they saying? And what is the, what is the gist of this? And how much has this departed from 
is what they're saying, a departure from that authentic historic gospel that came from Jesus to Paul and Peter and the rest and was handed down for 2,000 years. Yeah. And, and I mean, as Catholics, we have all the tools that we need for that. Um, we, we have the scriptures. We have the magisterial teaching of the church, the sacred tradition. Like if we are paying attention and if we are in prayer, we're in communion with God, um, we're, we're in constant prayer with Christ and we are listening to the authority of the church, we can know what is true, what is the authentic teaching of the church, and we can avoid being led astray. Um, that's what Paul is constantly talking about in his, his epistles. He's writing to them to remind them of what he preached to them so that they won't be led astray. I like how you put that, and that's a good place to end this and set us up for the next episode. Because, you know, in the last episode, we were talking about doctrine and whether doctrine and dogma functions for us anymore. And you were making the point that when we no longer have doctrinal or dogmatic anchors, we're like a tent that doesn't have tent poles or stakes and can just be blown about. And we have those tools, we have those stakes, we have those tent poles in Catholicism, but we have to be willing to pay attention to them. Yeah. We have to be willing to look in the catechism of the Catholic Church right? Which we can have a copy of. I can find it online. Just type oh, Catechism yeah. of the it's Catholic Church in, in, the, uh, in the search bar in Google and there's a thousand copies of it online and there you can go and you can say, look, we have access to this, but we have to be willing to look at it and we have to be willing to check it and say, is what this person's saying authentically Catholic? And we have to be, sometimes do the work of checking that. Yep. Okay, thanks. So in the next episode, which can come up right after this, we're going to talk about the H word, dun, 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 the H word. So come back for us in the next episode and we'll talk about the H word. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.